Welcome to From the View Box with Hal and Chris. This is the podcast of the UMass Medical School Department of Radiology. My name is Hal Lowe from the Division of Emergency Radiology. And I am Christopher Cernelia from Musculoskeletal Imaging. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today's guest is uh, Ryan Tai. Uh, Dr. Tai is a assistant professor in the Department of Radiology. Um, he's a colleague of mine in the Division of Musculoskeletal Imaging. And Dr. Tai will be speaking to us today on um, septic arthritis and um, the risk factors, pathophysiology, um, diagnosis and treatment. And uh, we want to welcome Dr. Tai. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me today. Awesome. It's great to have you. I'm, I'm happy you're here, here to talk to us on this really important topic. Um, you know, this is something that's uh, you know, one of the urgent uh, diagnosis we have in musculoskeletal. So I'm happy that you came in and I think the residents will really learn a lot. Um, from the talk. Um, so let's just start off kind of broad uh, an introduction. Um, could you start off maybe by giving the audience uh, you know, an overview of septic arthritis and why it's important to have a timely diagnosis and management in, in septic arthritis patients? Sure, of course. Um, so septic arthritis is basically just an infection of the joint. Um, so once the joint is infected, um, the cartilage can be rapidly destroyed, and that can lead to severe debilitating secondary osteoarthritis. And that's why the timely diagnosis of septic arthritis is so critical. As radiologists, we play a very integral role in the timely and accurate diagnosis of septic arthritis. And that's why this is a disease process in which all radiology residents should be very familiar with. Great, uh, Ryan. Um, so can you tell us um, what type of patients get septic arthritis, um, who gets septic arthritis, and what are the sort of uh, typical risk factors for acquiring a, a septic joint? So that's a great question, How um, So certain patient populations are predisposed to developing septic arthritis. This includes patients who have a pre-existing joint abnormality. For example, patients who have rheumatoid arthritis, patients who have a Charcot arthropathy or osteoarthritis. Patients who are immunocompromised or of advanced age are also more likely to develop septic arthritis. People who use intravenous drugs or have indwelling catheters can more likely develop bacteremia and can also develop septic arthritis more easily. And lastly, patients who have had recent joint interventions, for example, a joint injection or recent joint surgery can also develop septic arthritis. Awesome. Um, so I guess now that we know kind of who's at risk, these infections, um, maybe maybe you could discuss how someone um, can develop a, a septic joint or, or septic arthritis. Um, maybe start off with mechanism uh, of infection and some of the different ways um, a patient may, may become infected. Great. Um, so septic arthritis, the most common mechanism is due to hematogenous seeding. So this occurs, for example, if a patient uses intravenous drugs, they can seed their blood, develop bacteremia, and then subsequently the synovium can become seeded. And that's how septic arthritis usually manifests. Um, other potential causes of septic arthritis include infection of adjacent soft tissues or bones that then subsequently extend into the joint. A common example of this would be a child, for example, who has um, osteomyelitis involving the metaphysis. And in the large joints like the knees, hips, uh, the metaphysis is intracapsular, and therefore infection of the bone can then seed into the joint and lead to septic arthritis. In adults, we see this commonly in the setting of a diabetic foot. So with a non-healing ulceration, the adjacent soft tissues can become infected, and then subsequently the joint can become infected as well. 
And lastly, it can also occur from direct inoculation of bacteria into the joint. This occurs from penetrating trauma, bite wounds, and also after recent joint interventions. That's great. So I heard a couple of things there that you mentioned, you know, the knee, um, you know, the diabetic and the feet, um, sort of a variety of different uh, joints that can be affected and, and certainly different mechanisms. Um, maybe we could delve in a little bit more about like the, the sites or locations of these infections. Are there, you know, obviously all joints, I assume, are going to be uh, prone to infection, but are there ones that are more typical or more common um, to have certain types of infections? Is, is, there, is there something we should, we should learn there as far as typical joints and atypical joints with these uh, various infections? Uh, so that's a great question, Chris. Um, so typically, um, the large joints are more likely to develop septic arthritis. Um, more than half of the cases will affect the knee. Um, other common sites include a wrist, ankle, and hips. Um, atypical locations we see typically in patients who have um, intravenous drug use, and those sites that tend to get seated include the sternoclavicular joint and the sacroiliac joints. Terrific. Um, and we've been talking about infections, right? So different locations and, and how these uh, you know joints can can become infected, the different you know mechanisms and ways. But what what type of uh, various etiologies uh, are commonly seen in these types of infections? Um, so in terms of bacterial causes of septic arthritis, um, most commonly it's monomicrobial, usually due to Staph aureus. Other possible causes include other gram-positive bacteria like Streptococcus pneumonia. Um, in patients um, who are immunocompromised or are IV drug users, we may see uh, more atypical types of bacteria, such as um, gram-negative bacteria like Pseudomonas. Um, in patients who have direct inoculation of the joint, like with uh, the diabetic foot or penetrating trauma, these types of infections tend to be polymicrobial. That's, that's a really good, I think, overview of the, the kind of the, the pathophys of, of, you know, septic arthropathy. How do these... Um, how these patients, I guess, present, you know, what, what type of history would you be given? Um, you know, what type of discussion would you have with the clinical service for patients that, that manifest with the you know, septic arthritis? Can you give, give us a little brief overview of, of the uh, clinical presentation? Uh, of course. Um, so clinical presentation is very um, key and the physical exam plays a very important part in the diagnosis of septic arthritis. Usually the surgical services, for example, the orthopedic surgery teams are usually involved and they'll do a very thorough physical examination of the patient um, because with septic arthritis, the joint is inflamed, irritated, and distended with effusion. Usually these patients will present with limited active and passive range of motion and they'll have obviously pain at the site of affected joint. Externally, these patients may have swelling, erythema, and warmth. But a word of caution is that certain patient populations, for example, those who are elderly or immunocompromised may not be able to mount as much of an inflammatory response. And therefore, their physical exam findings may not be as salient. And um, so their patient's history plays a very important role in helping increase that clinical concern for a septic joint. Yeah, that's really important. I think that's something to really, uh, I think, emphasize um, those type of patients that don't really fall into that typical presentation. Um, I guess a follow-up on that is um, what, I guess, overlapping clinical presentation or diagnosis do we often think about in, you know, certainly in radiology. So you have someone with, you know, swelling and, and redness. Are there other things that we should be thinking about? Obviously, septic arthritis is, you know, one, two, and three as far as making sure that's ruled out. But what other things should the residents kind of be thinking about um, with similar clinical manifestations? Oh, that's a great question. So there are other um, possible things that can 
than the septic arthritis. And a good example of that would be something like septic bursitis, for example. So um, patients who may, for example, the elbow, they can have an infected olecranon bursa that can potentially mimic a septic joint. Um, patients may just have cellulitis with soft tissue abscesses that can also mimic septic arthritis. Um, sometimes patients may not have a very, um, may not be good historians and may not elicit a history of trauma. Sometimes an intraarticular fracture can also result in decreased range of motion, swelling, warmth, and erythema. And surprisingly, these patients may just have a fracture and not actually have septic arthritis. Excellent, Ryan. So, um, um, so now let's say that a clinician, orthopedic surgeon, or a primary care doc, for example, has at least a moderate clinical suspicion for septic arthritis after uh, a thorough um, history and physical and, and other clinical indicators. Um, what about the next step, which is for, for most of these patients is diagnosis. Uh, you know, we're going to want to know whether the patient actually does have septic arthritis. What, um, can you tell us about, uh, let's start with imaging studies. We're radiologists. That's what we like to talk about. What, uh, what imaging studies uh, should be ordered and what is their usefulness in this condition? Uh, so that's a great question, How So, um, so as radiologists, we play a very important role in helping guide our um, clinician colleagues in terms of ordering the most appropriate tests. And all radiology residents should know about the ACR appropriateness criteria, which helps guide us in selecting the most appropriate test depending on the clinical scenario. And so for the ACR appropriateness criteria for all, almost all musculoskeletal infections, if not all, um, the initial study of choice should always be a radiograph. Um, the radiographs are readily available, cheap, and they can provide a lot of information to help initiate the diagnostic process. Um, depending on the clinical indications, um, if advanced imaging is needed after radiographs are obtained, then typically we would recommend getting an MRI without and with intravenous contrast. If the patient cannot get intravenous contrast, then an MRI without contrast is also considered to be appropriate. And if there are any contraindications to getting MRI, a CT with intravenous contrast may also be considered appropriate. Okay, Ryan, let's uh, go into the details a little bit more. Um, let's take radiographs, for instance. What are the uh, typical and atypical findings of septic arthritis on uh, plain radiographs? Um, so in acute setting, septic arthritis will present pretty nonspecifically. Typically, what we will see is joint effusion, soft tissue swelling, and periarticular osteopenia. Over time, as the cartilage becomes destroyed, the secondary findings that we see on radiographs will include joint space narrowing and erosions. And chronically, the findings of septic arthritis will include periosteal bone formation, um, sclerosis, and ankylosis of the joints. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, say we, you know, we have high suspicion uh, of septic arthritis on radio on radiographs. The next step typically would be MRI, as you say. Uh, what are the findings of septic arthritis on MRI? So on MRI, the imaging findings will include joint infusion, synovial thickening, and hyperenhancement, as well as perisynovial edema. If joint infusions are under pressure, we can also see focal synovial outpouchings of joint fluid as well. Another very critical thing to assess on MRI is the presence of concurrent osteomyelitis because that can affect the duration of antibiotics. Um, so the imaging features of osteomyelitis would be confluent areas of bone marrow signal abnormality characterized by T2 hyperintense and T1 hypointense marrow signal, replacing the more normal marrow fat. On MRI, it's important to look for additional 
um, soft tissue infections, for example, the presence of an abscess, presence of tenosynovitis or myositis. That's great, Ryan. Um, we just really quick follow up to, to that is, um, you know, many of these septic joints, you know, fall into some typical patterns you just described. Are there any kind of pitfalls or any pearls that you can give to, you know, to a resident who hasn't seen too many of these cases about maybe false positives or false negatives or kind of considerations to think about um, when making the kind of radiographic diagnosis? Absolutely. So um, it's very important to interpret these image studies in the context of the patient's clinical presentation, especially, for example, the radiographs. Joint effusion is a very nonspecific finding. It can be seen in the setting, for example, after trauma or after or even with osteoarthritis. And um, therefore, interpreting study in the context of the patient is very important. Even for things like erosions and joint space narrowing, this can also be seen with other things like inflammatory arthritis. So again, clinical context is key. Um, one caveat with MR is that um, joint infusion is necessary typically to make the diagnosis of septic arthritis, but the one caveat for that would be in small joints. Um, so there's one paper um, by Karczewski in AJR in 2004. This is the paper that I actually recommended for the residents to look at. Actually, for small joints like in the fingers, um, you know, one-third of their patients actually did not have a joint effusion and they actually still have septic arthritis. So especially in small joints, the absence of a joint effusion does not necessarily exclude septic arthritis, especially the clinical suspicion is very high. Um, what about, you know, sometimes, especially in the past, you've uh, seen people, clinicians order uh, nuclear medicine exams um, for uh, at least, you know, uh, osseous um, uh, infection. What about soft tissue infection, including septic, septic joint? Is there any role for nuclear medicine at all? Typically not, um, especially now with the advent of MR. MR is far superior. Um, it's far more specific compared to nuclear medicine studies. On occasion, we may see an order for a nuclear medicine study. Um, typically, this is in patients who have extensive hardware um, in which the hardware can generate a lot of artifact that precludes evaluation with MRI. Typically, um, those types of studies are ordered are usually um, Indium 111 tag WBC scan with sulfur colloid imaging um, to help improve the diagnosis. But nowadays, most often, just because of the red of, um, the red of, um, the availability of MRI, typically we just start with an MRI. Great, um, that sounds good, and that that's great insight for all of our uh, listeners, including all the trainees, residents, and fellows. Um, and uh, just a note here, show note. Um, as always, uh, Dr. Tai has been nice enough to provide us with two very nice uh, uh, references articles on the on this topic of um, diagnosing septic arthritis and imaging of septic arthritis. So please check those out in the show notes. Um, okay. So now we talked about uh, imaging for septic arthritis. What about other uh, tests that a clinician may order, uh, non-imaging tests? What, what are those tests? Um, so usually they may order other blood tests, for example, blood cultures to help isolate the organism. Um, they may also order, um, obviously, a CBC with differential to look for any evidence of infection. Um, they may also order lactate, which is also part of their workup. Um, and the reference standard for diagnosis of septic arthritis would be joint fluid analysis. Um, so that's critical. That's the most critical part of the diagnostic process. Okay. So, um, yeah, so more, more even, you know, even more definitive than MRI would be the actual joint fluid uh, that you uh, aspirate from the 
supposedly are uh, um, um, infected joint. What, what are you looking for in that fluid or what type of studies do you do on that fluid to make the determination of infected or not infected? Uh, so that's a great question. So there are a couple of labs that we always send out for when we ask for the joint. The most important would definitely be the gram stain and cultures. And that's why we always recommend to do the joint aspiration prior to the initiation of antibiotics. Once you start antibiotics, the gram stain and cultures may be falsely negative. Um, the other part of the joint fluid analysis would be the cell count and differential. So the cell count differential becomes critical, especially if patients have already received antibiotics. The cell count differential can help tell us the type of joint fluid that's present. So on a cell count, the things that we look for is the amount of WBCs per microliter of fluid. So typically, if the fluid is non-inflammatory or the WBCs count would be less than 2,000 cells per microliter of fluid. Um, if there are more than 2,000 cells, then we consider that fluid to be inflammatory. So an inflammatory joint fluid can be non-infectious or infectious. So the higher the WBC count, the more likely the joint fluid will be infected. So typically, an infected joint fluid will have more than 20,000 um, cells, white cells per microliter fluid. Another thing that we look at is the differential. So infected fluid will have a left shift, so you'll have more neutrophils. And typically, infected joint fluid will have more than 75% neutrophils. So those are the two things that we look at. Um, it's also, again, important to note that, again, some patients may not mount as much of an inflammatory response, and therefore, that's why we don't use absolute cutoffs in making a diagnosis of a septic joint on the basis of the cell count differential. Again, elderly patients or patients who are immunocompromised may not um, elicit as much of an inflammatory response, and the white cell count may not be as robust. Certain types of infections, for example, gonococcal arthritis may not also mount as much of an inflammatory response, and so you may not see as much white cells. Um, so again, I guess the important thing to stress is that the cell count differential is just part of the um, uh, part of the information that the clinicians will have to use to make their um, assessment. And last thing is again, uh, certain inflammatory arthropathies, such as uh, or depositional arthropathies, can also mimic a septic joint, and that's why we always send for crystals as well to look for evidence of gout or CPPD. Great, yeah, that that's 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 very important to note that. A couple of things that I got out of that, which is uh, the joint fluid aspiration contents is a part of the, the clinical and, and uh, diagnostic workup. So you have to obviously consider that, especially with the imaging and, the, and this um, serum analysis. And then also differential diagnosis, of course, especially if you see crystals in the, in the fluid. Um, uh, you know, um, not a part of, not, we're not going to delve too deep into procedures. In, in this episode, maybe for next time, we'd like, we would love to have you back. But for um, some of our trainees, can you just give us a brief uh, description of the types of imaging guided or imaging guidance you can use to aspirate the joint fluid? You know, of course, uh, I'm sure it's going to depend on the, the exact joints. You may use different techniques. But what, what are the options for you in musculoskeletal imaging in terms of actually accessing the joint? What, what type of imaging guidance do you use? Of course. Um, so before getting to image guidance, so typically certain joints can actually be imaged or actually aspirated without any image guidance. Um, these are usually done by our rheumatology and orthopedic surgery colleagues. So these include joints such as the knee, um, the interphalangeal joints, and wrists. Um, typically, we get referrals to help our um, colleagues in doing the joint aspiration if 
image guidance is necessary. These are typically for deep-seated joints, for example, the hip and shoulder, as well as the sacroiliac joints. Um, in terms of the imaging modality that we use, um, depends on attending preference. Um, most often we aspirate these joints under fluoroscopic guidance, um, but ultrasound guidance can also be used. It again, depends on attending preference, resource availability, patient's body habitus. Certain joints can be very difficult to see both on ultrasound and fluoroscopy. These include the sacroiliac joints as well as the facet joints of the spine. In these cases, we typically would need to use CT guidance. Great. Thank, thanks for that uh, overview. And again, we're not going to go into any specifics of the details on, uh, on uh, just on this episode, but uh, maybe for a future episode, we'd love to have you back. Um, okay. So now that we've discussed diagnosis of septic arthritis, we've had a review of all the modalities and, and the ways that we can diagnose uh, imaging and otherwise. Let's, let's go on to treatment of uh, this condition. What are, the, uh, what are the mainstays of treating septic arthropathy? Um, so treatment of septic arthritis um, is twofold. So obviously, we need to systemically treat the infection with antibiotics. Um, the type of antibiotics that are usually chosen depends on the organism. Um, another important piece of it is the duration of antibiotics, and this depends on a lot of factors. One factor is, again, the type of organism, um, as well as if there's any concurrent osteomyelitis, bacteremia, or endocarditis. Um, septic arthritis should also be thought similarly to an abscess in that systemic antibiotics may not be able to completely treat the infection and therefore localized management is also necessary. So typically that's why the orthopedic surgery team is really critical in this part in that they typically will need to wash out the septic joint to locally control the infection. Well, thank you, Ryan, for that um, uh, great uh, explanation and um, those teaching points about the, uh, the diagnosis of septic arthritis. Uh, not only the imaging manifestations, but the sort of non-radiology, non-imaging uh, workup and diagnosis, uh, as well as the, the treatment of septic arthropathy. Um, I just have one follow-up question, which is um, in, um, in these patients with uh, high suspicion of septic arthropathy, arthritis uh, on our imaging and non-imaging studies, what do you recommend for sort of uh, not only follow-up, but management and also communication uh, with the clinicians who will be taking care of these patients? Uh, so that's a great question, How? So communication is absolutely key in cases of septic arthritis. Um, septic arthritis is considered to be an emergency because the longer you wait, the more rapid and more extensive the cartilage will be destroyed. And that can lead to severe debilitating complications like um, secondary osteoarthritis. Um, this can also lead to other complications like osteonecrosis and osteomyelitis. Um, with very bad septic arthritis, because this is an inflammatory process, the bone can actually ankylose. And as you can imagine, that can lead to severe uh, morbidity to the patient. So as radiologists, we play a very integral role in helping expedite the diagnosis of these patients. Um, in terms of outcomes, um, certain patient populations certainly do worse than others. Um, so for example, patients who are intravenous drug users um, because of continued use, they can reseed their joint and that can lead to reinfections. Um, patients who have rheumatoid arthritis and polyarticular septic arthritis notoriously have really, really poor prognosis. I mean, there's one study that shows that mortality is as high as 50% in these patients. Um, so septic arthritis is a real threat to the patient. And so it's really critical that we um, accurately and timely diagnose it in these patients. 
Great. Thank you very much. And I, I think that's a great point to all of our trainees uh, who are listening, which is that if you see a case of septic arthritis, uh, especially if it's uh, low suspicion or uh, uh, unsuspected even, then probably a phone call or direct communication to the ordering provider is a good idea so that the patient gets appropriate uh, urgent treatment. Yeah, this is, uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming in. This was a really great discussion. I think you, you really organized those thoughts and kind of hit some really key points for, for the residents to understand in uh, septic arthritis. So um, unless you had anything else to, to add, we really uh, wanted to thank you again for, for coming on from the Viewbox and you know, hope you will return again uh, for, for another topic. Thank you so much, Hal and Chris, for having me. I would definitely love to come back um, and talk about other topics as well. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening and supporting From the Viewbox. We've attached additional reading materials to the episode notes as provided by our guest. And please visit us at www.umassmed.edu backslash radiology. Thank you to our colleagues Charlene Barron, Tom Delaney, and Dan Ramsaran for their technical assistance. See you next time.